morning. It's good to see you. Well, we're going to start off, I'll start off with a word of prayer here in a minute, but we're going to start off in Luke chapter 1. And as soon as you hear Luke chapter 1, it's like, Jason, it's too late for a Christmas message. What are you doing? Well, it's not a Christmas message, but we still, it will kind of start off maybe like one. So Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 28 here in a second. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for everyone that was able to make it out this morning. And I pray, Lord, that this that you speak through me and that you, this word has the impact and the effect that you want it to have, Lord. Lord, not just in this room, not just here today, but in this uh, in the recording going forward. And Lord, all that you you accomplish, all that you want to with this word in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So in Luke chapter one. Verse 28, it says, The angel went to her, her being Mary. So this is the angel Gabriel visiting the Virgin Mary. It says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's a nice greeting. Highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Entitled the message today is Favor with God. So angel Mary is there. Angel visits her and says, You are highly favored, and you have found favor with God, and you are going to give birth to the Messiah. That sounds great. Highly favored. When I say favored of God, I feel like I'm echoing. Are you, are you able to hear me okay? I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit of an echo, but that's okay. When I say favor with God, what do you think? In our churches, our Christian radio, Christian teachings, you hear favor with God, usually it's what nice things are going to happen to you. Or... Things are going to go smoothly, or it tends to be what we say. Oh, have 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 God's favor. This is going to be this is going to be so nice and pleasant. This is going to be so easy because I have God's favor. And is that true? What does Scripture tell us? That's what I want to dive into today. What is it actually when we say favor with God? What can we actually expect? Later on in this chapter, Mary Mary has a, a song that she sings, and she mentions how all how, how future generations will look back and call her blessed, how honored she is that God chose such a humble servant. Mary really did, had the right heart with this. We'll look at a little bit more of that later, but she she's told she's favored, and then what happens? Well. The man that she's pledged to marry is ready to divorce her. We know from both Matthew's account and Luke's account put together that the man she's pledged to marry to is on the verge of divorcing her. She's at risk of public disgrace. She ends up having to give birth in a barn after a long travel. She has to flee to Egypt 
with a young child because the king is slaughtering all the children in town because of her and her child. Her husband apparently dies. Joseph seems to die while she's still relatively young because he's out of the picture by the time Jesus is doing his ministry. Mary, likely being a teenage girl at the time of his birth, would still be relatively young, and Joseph's gone. Her other children think that Jesus is crazy, the gospel tells us. They came at some point to collect him. She's got her own family drama going on. And after all of this, she has to watch her son crucified on a cross, completely innocent, and she has to stand there and watch that powerless to stop it. And I don't think any of those things were easy or simple or any of that. But what do we do when we hear, what's our expectation when we hear a favor with God, when God, God's going to choose me to do something? It's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. He's got a calling on my life, and it's going to be so great. And let me give you a little illustration. So a lot of the, so praying about this message, and the Lord keep, kept bringing back to me just a little post that I had read about Mary online, thinking about, you know, hey, she was favored by God, but not really by anybody else. Look what all, what all she went through. And uh, the Lord just kept speaking to me about that. I was also watching a show on truck drivers. I'm like, oh, what's he going? Where's he going with this? Oh, hang on. So, group of American truck drivers who have pretty much seen it all, done it all, and they go over to India in the northern part of India, the southern edge of the Himalayas, and they're gonna and they're gonna do, they're doing a trucking job there, and the absolute overwhelming humility that they were put through. Because they have, they say, I, I've driven all over America. I've driven all over the United States. I've seen it all. And then they're in India, and there's not the same infrastructure, and there's not the same safety standards. There's not the same anything. And the entire time they are in shock at, I have to drive this truck over a footbridge with a 1,000-foot drop under it? And each of them have a local... Spotter who's like, well, you ha- you just you keep your tires on each side because if you hit the middle, you know, we're going to die. So you just drive on these two these two parts, and it'll be fine. Or they're driving and uh, rocks falling, and, and there's you can look down the cliff, you see the debris of the other trucks. There's a certain percentage of people that die, and that's just acceptable. Certain some truckers are going to die during the course of this job, and they accept that. Or something. Cargo comes loose and the spotter will climb on a mo- outside of the moving truck. And the tr- American driver is freaking out, and they, in their culture, either get this job done or, you, or you're you're going to starve. You don't you don't get really another shot. Either you get this job done, and what that what what they're used to making work is just shocking to the American drivers, because we kind of have a concept if something is uncomfortable. It must be wrong. American concept is kind of like no, we're, we we have certain expectations of comfort and safety and certain. And if it's if it's not safe and it's not comfortable, it must be wrong, and we need to fix it. And when we apply that to ministry, our expectations of how ministry is supposed to go. Well, I'll show you. We'll look at examples. We'll see, do, do our expectations 
match what God calls people to go through. Because our tendency, if we're not if we're not understanding it clearly, we're going to think ministry is broken because it's uncomfortable. When in fact, we might be exactly where God's called us to be. So Mary went through a lot. Maybe that's just unique. Maybe that's just maybe that's an unusual case. Can I find other examples? Pretty much everybody else in the Bible, quite frankly. But let me give you some specific examples. Okay, uh, Joseph, not her, not Mary's husband, Joseph, but the Joseph back in the the Old Testament, the back in Genesis thirty-seven. So this is Jacob's son, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph's one of Jacob's twelve sons. He has, he's, at the age of 17, he has two dreams from God that he, something, something representing him is standing in a place of honor and his family is bowing down to him. And that might sound culturally strange to us, but it was basically he was going to be exalted in a place of honor above his family. At a young age of 17, he's having these dreams. He knows it's a promise from God. He's excited about it. Again, God's favoring him. Well, that's great. So what happens over the next 13 years? His brothers try to murder him. Just to clarify, this, this is one of those things you hear, I hear sometimes in teaching, and, it, and I'd like to set it straight. We have this idea of, yeah, putting him, the story of his brothers grab him and put him in the well, a dry well, to like hold him prisoner, almost like, well, you know, teenage boys and playing pranks and, no, you read, read the scripture. His older brothers are like 30 and 40 years old, and they want to murder the 17-year-old because they hate him so much. Like this is this is not this is not boys being boys. These are grown this is grown men ready to kill their teenage brother because they hate him so much. So let's I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's this is ugly. His brothers are ready to murder him. They he's sold into slavery never to see his home again. He never he never comes back. To his home. He's, he's gone. He does his best as a slave, and where that gets him, it gets him falsely accused and sent to prison. He does his best in prison, and he's forgotten about. Even when God's using him, people forget about him. The king's steward forget, forgets about him. When he finally is promoted to the second of all of Egypt, you think, wow, look at that. That's a great story arc. He ends up as the second... Second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt, and you realize during his time and rule is some of the worst famine ever happens during Egypt. And yes, God prepared him for it and gave him a vision, but it's still, I don't think that job was as fun as we think it was. I think that was a really hard job. Does that look like the path that we would write for that for that storyline? Hey, Joseph you're going to end up honored above all your family. How are you going to get there? Well, you're going to get sold into slavery and then end up in prison and then end up, like, it's just the total opposite of what you would think. That doesn't make any sense at all in our minds. But every step of it was God preparing him for what he had for him to do. Before, Before I go, let me circle back real quick to Mary. You think the birth of the Messiah, does it? Would we ever 
think that the birth of the Messiah is going to happen to a girl who is she's betrothed. She's she's it's scandalous that she would be pregnant. She ends up giving birth in a barn, at a, in a lowly. I mean, it, it's just so the opposite of what, how the birth of the Messiah should, in human terms, be written. It's not. It's doesn't make sense to us. Oh, we like to throw around a lot in the American church. God's got a plan for your life, and that's very reassuring because we kind of imply that that there's some point in the future where everything's going to be just everything's going to be good and it's all going to work out and everything's going to be smooth and where where did we get that idea i don't I, let's let's look a little more at scripture did did do we is that the right idea to tell people that it's going to some it's going to work out and be so smooth at some point this expectation of some sort of future ease let's look at moses exodus 3 for reference and in Exodus three is the part of the burning bush. Okay, he so he's already he grew, he grew up in Egypt his first forty years. Then he decides, I'm going to help my people. He kills an Egyptian. Pharaoh puts a death sentence on him, and he takes off. He's a fugitive from from justice in Egypt. He spends his next forty years living with shepherds, Bedouins, that that culture. No indication he's ever going to go back to Egypt until the burning bush, where God is speaking to him through a burning bush. God's chosen him to be the deliverer. He's going to go, shows him miracles. I'm going to perform, here's miracles to perform, and you're going to go and deliver your people with these miraculous signs. And how many of us would say, yeah, sign me up? That sounds so spiritual. That sounds so special. That sounds really cool. Do these miracles, and I'm going to rescue my whole nation and sign me up. Yeah, we know. Yeah, well, that's that's like yeah, I can't wait. All right. So, what does it mean for him, though? What's the reality of it? There's the very churchy spiritual expectation of it, and then there's the reality of it. So he's got to leave this new home. That's he's he's lived there as long as he ever lived in Egypt. I don't think he wants to go back. Quite frankly, he's got to leave the home that he's known, the life that he's built. He's nearly killed by an angel on his way back for being disobedient. We tend to skip over that part. It wasn't in the movie with Charlton Heston, but we tend he's nearly struck down by an angel for not obeying God in circumcision. The people he's supposed to de- deliver are. Furious with him, he comes back. He confronts Pharaoh, and Pharaoh makes their work harder, and they hate him for it. So the people he's come back to rescue don't like him right off the bat because he's all he's done is made things harder on them. And after all the miracles, all the victory, all all those things that are so exciting to read about, we see him by the time he's in Numbers eleven, he's in the wilderness. The people. Complains so much, he's just asking God to die. He's like, I, 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 don't, I enjoy reading Numbers eleven a little bit. I, I don't, it's, that's probably not a healthy thing to enjoy, but it, when Mo, Moses, who is described as the meekest person on earth at that time, is like, God, I didn't, I didn't give birth to these people. Why do I have to do this? 
these aren't my, just, just let me die. I, it's just like any church leader that's ever been stressed out, it's just like, yeah, Moses, I hear you. Like, hey, you know, it's, if that guy, the meekest ever, meekest in the world is what the Bible declares him at that point. If he can have a day like that, then, you know, any, anybody can. And the job sounded cool until you actually realized what it, what it included. So the mission at the beginning, all that sounds so cool. The actual reality of it, without God, nobody could do it. And honestly, if we really knew it, none of us would sign up for that job probably. If, it's like, if you actually read Moses' uh, feelings by the time he's at Numbers chapter 11, it's like, I don't know if I'd sign up for that. So surely, surely things get better. Maybe let's look at uh, let's look at David. And I want you to think as we're talking about these, God, these, God did these amazing things through them that sound so spiritual to our ears when we read the story. But I want to I want to grasp the real story of what people that God has used had to go through. So David in first. Samuel 16, David is a teenage boy, and he's anointed king of, of Israel. Well, that doesn't happen every day. That's pretty cool. Hey, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He goes from the lowest in his family. His father didn't even, didn't even think he had a shot at it, didn't even invite him when the prophet Samuel shows up. He goes from the lowest in his family. They have him doing servant work, watching the sheep to you're going to be the king. Yeah. And we know all the, we know, if we're familiar with the Bible, we know like how incredible David's life and all the and miracles and all the story of well, how great it was, how great David was. He even says in 1 Samuel, uh, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, you know, those people who didn't really respect him, He's anointed in front of them. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Been in church as long as I can remember. A lot of people, you'd say, Ooh, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon them. Oh, that, that'll get you a lot of shouting and amening and all kinds of things. We love that. But why did it? Because this guy was going to end up Shortly thereafter, he's going to be a servant of the king of King Saul. Well, that's great, except that Saul was troubled by an evil spirit and would tend to throw javelins at David and try to kill him. Gets even worse. David anointed king in front of all his brothers, but now he's hiding in a cave. And the king is pursuing him. Even when he becomes king, Saul's daughter hates him for it. His own son, Absalom, turns against him, overthrows him for a time. And at the end of his life, he has a fairly long list of people who have betrayed him and not treated him well, and he seems pretty short on friends. The one best friend he ever had was Saul's son, who he was torn away from and never sees him again until, until he hears of his Jonathan's death. And that story, without knowing what God was accomplishing through him, that story is a pretty rough story. Somebody has suffered quite a bit. Plenty of other examples. I'm not going to go in detail of any more of them. 
but Elijah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, pretty much any of the prophets, the apostles, the apostle Paul's introduction into ministry as he's struck blind and God tells Ananias, hey, go pray for him. He needs to understand how much he's going to suffer for me. That's a nice start to your ministry, isn't it? God's telling you, this is, uh, let me give you an idea of what the, this, this is, Jesus himself is affirmed by God at his baptism in the very next chapter as he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted. I mean, there, there, it's kind of a pattern here. So let me get to the point of this pattern here. It's so popular, I'm, I may skip around my notes a little bit, but it is it's so much of the church say that they desire God's favor and God's calling on their life, and he's got a plan for my life. Do we know what that means, though? Because God's pattern is, it is an honor to have God's calling on your life. It is an honor to have God's favor. But he's going to take you through hard things. He's not necessarily, he's not, that doesn't mean he's going to shield you from any hard things. It means he's going to take you through hard things, preparing you to do even harder things. Our story arcs from people in the Bible, we make this story arc of they went through something hard and then it all turned out great. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm missing that last part there. I'm looking at these, it, it, they, God took them through something hard so they could do even harder things. And the reward is in heaven, kingdom, kingdom to come. But for a lot of people in the Bible, if they had if they had been locked into the mindset of I'm going to do a few hard things and then God's going to make everything easy for me, they they'd have given up. They would never have gotten through what God was taking them through if they had this locked in mindset that a few hard things now and then I'm going to get into some sort of ministry where it's all easy and smooth. That would ruin them. They never make it. So let me give you some encouragement and some warnings and some and some challenges. I'll give you some good stuff here. God's favor put them in special positions, but the path was hard because it was preparing them for even harder jobs. So if you are following God's calling on your life and you're and you're discouraged because it's hard, I want to encourage you. You're in very good company. God's preparing you for the next thing he has for you. Be encouraged because our cultural mindset and our cultural slash church spiritual mindset is, well, if it's hard, maybe I did something wrong. If it's difficult, I must have missed God. I need to do something different. Even more so, the more concerning one is, Ministry is supposed to make me feel fulfilled. If I'm not feeling fulfilled, then I'm going to quit or I'm going to move or I'm going to do something else. And where did we get the idea that ministry itself is going to fulfill us or make us feel, it should make me feel, should be fun, it should make me feel cool, make me feel special. You say, oh, Jason, do people really think that? My Christian experience is littered with former pastors, former Christians who have renounced their faith, um, exhausted Christians, I would say, that may still believe, but they're so discouraged. 
I get I know plenty of people who have been derailed by the idea by chasing this fantasy ministry that's going to fulfill them. It's going to make them. It's going to fix everything. It's going it, that I feel about myself if I just achieve this ministry dream that I have. I don't know if God called them to that or not. I think in many times He did, but somewhere along the way, well, when they hit opposition, they didn't have the right expectation. So when they hit opposition, they said, this is wrong, I'm going to change things. Instead of God would have liked to have taken them through that challenge and gotten them ready for the next challenge. But instead they either gave up or changed something radically or something because they were chasing this fulfillment. This ministry is going to, this title, this position, if I just had this title, if I just had this position, I would feel great. I'd be I'd be, I'd be so happy serving in the church. And it's, no, you, you serve where you are now. God will promote you at the right time, and you'll be ready because he's preparing you where you are now. Don't try to jump ahead of himself. Don't try to jump ahead of him. Don't try to chase a fantasy ministry. I do get concerned when, I, and I'm, I'm not talking about bad people here. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about quality Christian church people that I love uh, that are, I'm going to do all these amazing things for God. And then one person hurts their feelings and they're like, ah, I'm going to run away. I'm like, don't you think the ministry God has for you is going to probably be a tough at times? You know, somebody's probably going to hurt your feelings along the way. You know, don't, we should expect that, right? And how did you think you were going to take on all of this if, you know, one one you know, one person hurt your feelings or something. You know, we gotta we gotta be. But our American mindset: uh, if it if it's uncomfortable, it must be wrong or broken. I have to fix it. It's not even in my notes, but I was thinking this morning. James and John, two of the disciples, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, son sons of Zebedee. Their mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, can my son sit on your right hand and on your left? And it, when I read Jesus' response, I just hear like like this flabbergasted voice of, you don't know what you're asking. He tells her, you, you don't understand what you're asking. He turns to them and says, can you drink from the same cup that I'm going to drink from? Which he's warning them, are you going to go through the suffering that I'm going to go through? They're like, oh, yes, we're ready. And he's like, you will. You will go through. But as far as that sitting on my right hand and on my left, that's not my, that's not my call. This is the Jason paraphrase. He's, Jesus says, that's not my decision that you are going to go through. And then you know James is the first of the disciples to be martyred. John was the last one to die. And he went through a lot. He was the only one we know about the crucifixion. He they did go through it. They didn't know what they were asking. To, and I love enthusiasm and charging into ministry, but I, I guess I've just seen too too many along the way that have charged in enthusiastically. I'm not the only one. You guys have been in church. This this group's been has a, a lot of church experience. You've seen people charge into something. I'm all excited and then just clobbered by the first thing that goes wrong. And you're just kind of like. I know it's tough, but you got to go through the tough things to get to the next tough things. 
what was Mary's response? Let me kind of wrap this up, uh, get, get towards the end here. Back there in Luke chapter 1, this is Mary's response to the angel in verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary had answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Told this amazing thing, and her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. God, you do what you want. I'm your servant. And I just feel like that includes, I'm going to accept, I'm accepting this honor, but I also know it's probably going to be hard at some point. I don't know, I don't think she necessarily knew how hard it was going to be, but boy, that mindset's, what a wonderful place to start from. I'm your servant, God. You, you do what you want. That, that'll get somebody through some things. The apostles in Acts, in Acts chapter 5. So Acts chapter 5, the apostles are really having a confrontation with the Sanhedrin. That was the leadership of, the Jewish leadership of that point. They've been thrown in prison. The Sanhedrin wanted to kill them, but were afraid of the people, so all they did was flog them. It's really easy to read over that, but flogging is no joke. That was... Again, our American mindset, if somebody did that to us, somebody threw us in jail and beat us up that badly, we'd be furious. Also threaten them of any further preaching and then releases them. And what's the apostles' response? Acts 5, verse 41. What's the, what are the apostles going to do about this? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Wait, is that like a typo or something? What, what is this? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's a different mindset. That is something. They go through that and they're like, we're pretty happy that we were counted worthy. Is that how we think of the favor of God or God counting us worthy for something? They're like, oh, well, this is awesome. We were counted worthy to suffer disgrace for his name. I'm going to get ready to close if you want to come on for music, some music at the end. I've got a pretty long challenge section in my notes. I'm going to actually sum this up. you got to make adjustments when you're preaching kind of on the fly. Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 18 that no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. And that verse can be kind of tricky. It comes in context where the disciples are saying, we've given up so much for you. Like, what? what's the payoff? And he tells them these things you've given up, and he tells he gives them all of these family. He gives them home and family and says, what you've given up will not fail to receive many times as much. And I've heard that interpreted as uh, material things, 
by some of the prosperity crowd, and that's not at all what it says. You read that, and it's all about home and family and the kingdom of God, the family of God, the body of Christ gives us family and a sense of home that is a lot bigger than just our biological family. He says, you've, you've been separated from your biological families, is basically what he's saying, in your homes. But if you've done it for the kingdom of God, you're going to get much more in return in this age, not, just, not in heaven, but in this age. In the age to come, you get eternal life. But here you get the family, the body of Christ. And if we're chasing fulfilling ministry and we're stepping on people to get there, which happens in churches at times, I'm, why are you stepping on that person? Well, I'm stepping on a person because to get my ministry and what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. The reward is the, is the people. Ministry is for people, people are not for ministry. Chasing a position or a title often means stepping on others along the way. The Lord's calling means people tend to step on you along the way. And it teaches you, prepares you to do even harder things. And one last thing in Luke 14. Jesus tells a story. I'm going to paraphrase it for the sake of time. But he says he's, he's watching people at a, at a feast at the Pharisee's house. And he says, when you're invited, don't take the seat of honor. Don't take the best seat because somebody more important than you may come along and you end up at the worst seat. They end up taking your place. He says, when you go, take the lowest seat. And when, and when the host sees you in this low seat, He'll put you in the best one. Says, friend, why are you at this low seat? I'm gonna, I'll put you in this nice, nicer seat. When you exalt yourself, you end up disgraced, humiliated. When you humble yourself, you end up exalted. And he closes that section by saying, "For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." So my closing challenge for us today is to trust God's favor. We need a relationship with him. We need a relationship with each other. Ministry is not the thing that's going to fulfill us, make us feel cool, make us feel special. If you're doing it the right way, it's actually, it's actually pretty hard. I, I sometimes think people desire, the, oh, I want to be in leadership, and it's kind of like, if you think that that's going to be fun or cool, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I should warn you. Like it's kind of not. Uh, you kind of have to. You have to be prepared for that, and you have to have some other something else that's fulfilling you because that's not really going to do it. It's it's uh, be be warned. If you're chasing that, you're and for for something that's you're going to get disappointed. But trust his favor that he's going to exalt you at the right time. Be be good and be faithful where you're at. Let God exalt you. Trust his favor and let him prepare you through hard things. So I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to play some music, have some time with the Lord. I want to encourage you all. I want to encourage you if you're like, I really do think I'm following God's calling, but it's hard. It'd be, it would be weird if it wasn't hard.
because that's part of that's how God does. We look in those examples in Scripture, and that's it'd be weird if it wasn't hard and challenging. That's how He prepares us. But if you are chasing, if you're chasing some position, ministry, some dream that you have, and that's going to fulfill me, I need to warn you: the fulfillment is in Christ, not in ministry, because ministry is actually quite hard and challenging. That's not. If you're chasing after that for some future dream, you need to question that. You need to reevaluate that. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this family. I'm so thankful, Lord, to be part of this, this part of your body of Christ, Lord, this church family. And I pray, Lord, that you take this word and do what I cannot do on my own, that you make it truly digestible. To, to the spirits that hear this, Lord, to the souls, Lord, that hear this word, that you make it make sense and make it real to them in ways that I would not even know how to do. You speak to the personal experiences, Lord, and help cause this to make sense, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Show us, Lord, where we're trying or any time that we're stepping on people to try to get to some ministry goal, Lord. Help us turn that around and reach people. Times, Lord, that we're that we take hit and take challenge, Lord, and take uh, take a tough circumstance, Lord, in, in growing in you, Lord. Help us not run away see you working in us. Thank you, Lord, for the past struggles that have brought us to this level of preparedness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. difficult. Be encouraged. doesn't mean you did something wrong. Doing it the right way brings about challenges so that God grows us, makes us even stronger. The things we want to watch out for is if you're expecting things to be easy, you'll get discouraged. And if you're chasing a dream that you've come up with, you're stepping on other people to get there that somehow it's going to fulfill you if you don't get your way you'll get you'll tend to get upset get bitter if you do get your way you'll tend to get disappointed and get bitter and neither one's a good outcome so all of you here those of you listening to this recording at a later time seek the Lord's calling on your life Seek his favor, but be be patient. Let him work on you, what he needs to do, get you to the right place at the right time. 
not chasing a fantasy, but chasing a real relationship with him, a real fellowship with each other, and let him build you up in his timing and his favor. One, one final quick prayer as we dismiss. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you again, Lord. Bless everyone here, Lord. Safety on the road and travel. Lord, continue to work through the service in Evansville. Pray your blessing on the worship and preaching, teaching there today, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.